just a disclaimer here. I'm fully aware that there are some people in our audience that get their back up about any kind of discussion around climate change. And okay, I I don't want this to turn into an argument about climate change, okay? For the purposes of this following discussion, let's just accept the viewpoint that we're hearing from a number of experts following the heat waves that this is something that we can expect to see more often in our future. Maybe not every year, but this is something that's going to become more common, okay? Uh, We can debate climate change on another day. We're talking about a specific issue. Um, If those predictions hold, and that is true, um, what does that mean for us? We're, we're, We're a province, we're a part of the world that builds and um, designs itself around extreme cold weather, right? That's sort of a major consideration whenever we're doing anything like this. Um, Now, if we're dealing with, uh, you know, intense heat in the summertime, we need to do some things differently um, because it's, it's, it's a different environment that we're trying to deal with. So let's get some discussion on how we need to adapt a little bit. We're going to chat now with Ian Morrow, who is the executive director of the Prairie Climate Center at the University of Winnipeg. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. No problem. So, um, as we said, the, the experts believe that this is going to be something that we're going to see more often going forward. What exactly does that mean? We're not talking about record-breaking heat every summer, summer after summer after summer. It's just intense heat waves like this could happen you know, every 10 years instead of every 100 years kind of thing? Well, when we take a look at the data, and so at the Prairie Climate Centre, we're an evidence-based organization, and we have you know people that look at the models and try to understand the exact issues that we're talking about on the show here. And when you look at the data, it, it appears that the heat waves that have just happened across Western Canada are going to become more frequent, longer in duration, and simply more intense moving forward. And so that's across the country, actually. Mm -hmm. But in each part of the country, obviously, we have different geographies. We have different kind of microclimates. And, you know, Alberta in particular, it looks like there's going to be some pretty serious impacts that we should be thinking about. And I, I welcome the opportunity to do that today. Yeah, what kind of things do you think we can expect to see when you talk about some pretty serious impacts? What kind of things are you predicting in our future? Well, again, this is based on the, the global climate model data that is, is made available through various consortia. And our, our, our group built something called the Climate Atlas of Canada. If you go to climateatlas.ca, there's a website there that kind of gives you some background information. And then there's a map. And if you think about the, the map of Canada with grid paper almost on it, it's an interactive site where you can go and click into your local area and learn about the kind of projected climate futures. And so, you know, when you think about what happened in BC this past couple of weeks, enlightened, they had the hottest temperature record ever recorded in Canadian history. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let that pause in for a second, almost 50 degrees Celsius. And so what happened in this kind of heat wave was that there's a group of scientists that do rapid attribution studies. And so they started to look at the, the kind of natural occurrence of that versus the climate forcings. And they said that was a one in 1,000 year event. But if we continue on the course that we're in, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and, and, and business as usual, by about 2040, that could be an event that happens every five to 10 years is what this best available science is saying about the state of these heat waves. So, you know, thinking about that future, do we want that to be happening every, 
you know, five or 10 years? Probably not. So that idea that you presented in the intro around adaptation, how yeah. we think about this is really important because regardless if we rein in our emissions, you know, and, and, and slow kind of greenhouse gases, there's the atmosphere is charged with a certain amount of, you know, greenhouse gases that, that are already there that are going to cause this kind of warming to continue no matter what. And so we have to be preparing and adapting now. And that, that looks like a lot of different things depending on where you are in the country. Yeah. So let's take a look at it when we talk about adapting. Cause like I said, you know, we, we, we adapt for cold weather climates and we've done a pretty decent job at that, right? I mean, the way we do things in this part of the world is entirely different than most of the world does where they don't have to deal with extreme cold. Now, if we have to pivot and deal with intense heat in the summertime as well, how do we adapt? What kind of things do we need to be thinking about? Well, again, if you go to the Climate Atlas, we use it as an applied risk assessment tool. So you can actually look at the different parts of the province, which areas might anticipate more extreme heat versus others, and you can start to think about that. And we've worked with various communities to kind of consider these issues. Things like, you know, green programs in terms of street trees and making sure there's shaded areas simply for reprieve from the heat. When you think about, um, you know, large urban centres in Edmonton and Calgary, people in the inner city, there's something called the urban heat island. So the concrete of the city actually absorbs that heat as you would expect right. and it emits it back and so urban centers are much hotter and if you have social vulnerability people in high rises people at low income levels seniors who are really vulnerable in terms of underlying health issues and social isolation they got pummeled in the heat wave in bc hundreds of people died in that age category because of this so you know thinking about you know programs that look out for the elderly in our communities there's many many things that can be done to kind of anticipate the changes and strategically create interventions that allow for people to be safe and these kind of adaptation plans are something that the the government of canada is actually starting to roll out there's a national adaptation strategy that's in the works and i would say in alberta you know there's a huge amount of opportunity to kind of start to get this right um there's there's lots of uh, smart people, the universities, you know, the communities thinking about this stuff. And I think we really need to kind of consider rural and remote communities, First Nation and Métis communities. There's a lot of different jurisdictions in your province where people are further away from hospitals and emergency services and ambulances. And, and we know that, you know, when the heat wave hit out west, those services were incredibly taxed. And so yep. paramedic calls and all of this stuff. And so the whole system needs to be thinking about this extreme what it means to particular individuals, socially vulnerable people in particular, and how we can ensure that, you know, we are moving forward in a good way to ensure that climate change um, is being dealt with in that adaptation space. But at the end of the day, you folks are in Alberta, we have to have a conversation about oil and gas and how we, you know, move towards that renewable future couple of things I want to ask you about uh, that we're dealing with right now, and it's been really, really tough on our agricultural sector, this intense heat. It, uh, that's something we're also going to have to have, have some adaptation in, right? Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I'm in Manitoba right now. And if you look at the recent Canadian drought monitor maps that came out, you know, Manitoba, so southern Manitoba is getting hammered right now. We are in an extreme drought. And I, 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 I'm sad to report that, you know, farmers are having to make some incredible trade-offs right now. There are fields that are being lost. 
due to the extreme drought, followed by the grasshopper infestations. You know, the the crop is gone, and the the farmers are now working together to get the the straw and potential you know food for cattle that can be harvested off these these fields that have been lost. But they're literally trying to save the livestock herd right now because there isn't enough feed, and there's simply water. The dugouts they're drying up. This is a major major agricultural emergency in Manitoba right now, and a number of rural municipalities have actually declared agricultural emergencies because they don't know how to deal with this. And I would say this is a precursor to, you know, ranch lands across Western Canada. And I, I actually have family roots in Alberta. My parents had, or my grandparents had a ranch just outside of Edmonton near Stony Plain. And this is very near and dear to my heart. And my, my heart goes out to those people on the front lines. And these are our farmers. These are our people feeding our families. Yeah. And so, you know, this isn't a political issue. This is an issue about the livelihood and well-being of people, you know, across the country and specifically in these areas where these extreme droughts are likely to occur. And it affects water supplies. You know, we see the glaciers of the world melting away. And you think about where's the water going to come from? How are we going to manage our water moving forward? And these are these are existential threats. And so I think when we think about climate change, it shouldn't be this polarizing issue. It should actually be an issue that brings us together around our collective well-being and health to think about a good way forward for a healthy society and i think that's the silver lining here is that these efforts to address climate change actually make our lives better they make us more healthy they create opportunities for us to be integrated in our communities and integrated in a a, a way with the natural world that that help give us meaning and and safety and i've got young kids and i think about them looking at this dark future on the one hand, or a vibrant, resilient future, and what kind of what kind of vision do we want to create? And it's it's really critical that we create that opportunity for people to see a positive vision of the future. Yeah, and and find the opportunity because a lot of these things that you're talking about, um, you know, are opportunities. I mean, it's a way of doing things differently, but it's it's industry as well. Well, absolutely, and you know, I've actually spent a fair amount of time in Alberta, and I can tell you right now that we're talking about this heating of the system, but that it actually means the loss of the cold. And even, you know, when you think about the industry, when you think about the oil and gas sector, they actually require, you know, frozen ground to get equipment out onto the land. And I've talked to people in that industry who are very concerned about climate change because it actually changes the way that they do business and their ability to actually do business. Yeah. So, you know, this isn't a polarizing issue in that way. It affects everybody. It affects all industries. And so, again, I would encourage, you know, the leaders in the oil and gas sector to be as bold and ambitious on climate change as you possibly can. And you, you know, Your think- line has gone, abs- I don't know what happened there, but uh, I'm going I'm to let you go. Um, but I appreciate your insight, and we'll do this again. But something happened to your phone there, just I don't know what it was. Thank you, Ian.